Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Hey, Brian. How's it going? It's going pretty swell. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Anything particularly exciting in your day today? Well, you know, I was writing some code earlier and having fun with that, and none of my DevOps stuff blew up, and I was trying uh, trying some new cloud techniques and some new uh, functions that I hadn't used before, so that was pretty fun. Sounds sounds cool. I, I wish I could report that nothing blew up on me today, <laughs> but, but that wasn't the case. Oh, no. I, I, uh, I couldn't uh, actually make my, my computer work this morning, so... I've been kind of struggling with it for the last couple of days. So I had to truck over to the Microsoft store. And I have to say, I am a, I've always been a Microsoft fan. I have a Surface, really like it. And I am all that much more of a believer now. I went in with a three-year-old machine. They switched out my keypad, just switched it out, didn't charge me. I was absolutely blown away. And they were just super helpful. And now I'm, I'm up and running and life is back. Yeah, they even like, the the guy even like, Updated your operating system and stuff. Oh, huh? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And they even cleaned my screen. I walked away and I'm like, oh, this looks so nice. They just did everything. Wow. I know. So I feel major love. I don't know if them. it's just you or if it's, wow. I mean, they've really stepped up their game, but I guess, you know, they're competing against Apple. So true. And I will certainly be buying another Surface. Nice. They, they, they won me over big time. I'm not quite sold like you have been since they came out, but that's okay. I know that uh, that you love it, and you you need more more power than I do. I'm not I'm not a developer, so so that makes sense. It's debatable. the The inside secret is this: us developers uh, just get a more powerful machine. I don't even know if we use it. So because <laughs> you just play games on it. Yeah, yeah. I know. So what that's are we cool. going to talk about today? Well, um, I, I have been thinking actually for a long time about what really happens when I spend lots of time painstakingly sorting through my garbage into little bins and, you know, checking labels and all of that. And I want to think it goes off to a, a place where it's going to have this wonderful new life. And then I wonder, is it really worth all of that effort? I'm a little bit more cynical about it, and so maybe I don't always do the the best job sorting. But uh, I I will confirm that. I mean, not to, not to be harsh here, but your your sorting game isn't isn't always on point. But you know, it, and it's not that you and I are are both absolutely. I mean, if we want to slap a label on it, I would call us environmentalists, right? Like we are totally, you know, we want to make green choices. We want to we want to take care of of what we can do, right. To kind of make things in a, in a good place for the future. But, and we all know we have to like recycle, but what is recycling really? Right. We know it's a business. Yeah. We know absolutely. there are a lot of moving pieces with it. So it's interesting to think about what's actually happening once your neat little bins get picked up and what happens after it sails away out of sight, out of mind. 
Yeah, and I mean, I and I've always wondered this. One of our uh, one of our friends, our our uh, mutual friends, is in the trash business, and so I always get his inside scoop on how he can tell the economy by how much trash he picks up and all of these things. So, you know, I haven't quite uh, built some algorithms around this yet to uh, do predictive stock analysis, but probably could at some point. Uh, but yeah, that's so, a little gem. Yeah. You know, and one of the things endeavors. that, uh, that he's always said is like, Hey, when, when China's not buying, uh, a lot of this trash ends up going to the same place, which is the landfill because it's just, it's not bought. So, right. you know, I haven't fully researched that. We also live in a town and a state that, uh, that obviously has adopted, you know, single use bag, um, restrictions. So I'm not totally a full fan of that yet because, uh, picked up some groceries the other day and uh, my paper bag uh, ripped through because it got wet and uh, I didn't have, uh, you know, one of the reusable bags. So anyhow, come prepared. Yeah, I know. Mm-mm. So let's talk more about the data. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of data behind this. Yeah, absolutely. So so when we look at um, like globally, just what's going on with trash, right? Like let's let's just talk trash here right on a on a global level we're really going to go for it so essentially you know when we look at at waste the biggest problem areas in the world we can you know probably not be surprised to hear that it's it's our low income countries the most poor and, and vulnerable populations that, that really suffer the most from this and in those places 90% of waste is just openly dumped or or openly burned Really interesting. I mean, that that's pretty on par with what I've seen when I've traveled the world is that, you know, dumping on the side of the road, dumping at a rest stop, things like that uh, are pretty par for the course. You know, it, it is. And, and when you think about the effect that that has, you know, that's, of course, leaching into water sources, the oceans, clogging drains, of uh, it's a way that diseases are transmitted. So, you know, this is having a much greater effect um, on the environment, on people's health. So, so that's, that's a huge part of the problem. And obviously we're not even talking about recycling in this, in this case, it's just, we have a, a problem in these areas with just, there's not a system in place to deal with it. So that, that's, you know, one of the big things. Interesting. Yeah. And then you look at places like, uh, I obviously spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley. You go out much outside of the major spots uh, where there's now, you know, a drug and homelessness problem. And the trash there is also piling up rapidly. It looks real bad. Um, Seattle, even worse. Seattle, uh, you know, I've been going there for years and years and it just is getting worse and worse with trash and it's really it's pretty sad so you know luckily technology is coming about and i think over the last couple years i have seen so many pitches that are focused on recycling trash and reducing waste that that's really encouraging so like i you know let's talk about that a little bit today uh because i think that's uh, that's important i know there's a lot of different vectors at which we could solve the problem yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you're seeing such a prol- proliferation of of companies solving this issue because it's it's not an issue that's going away. Um in terms of of 
trash and you know you see in any kind of EPA report or whatever they call it municipal solid waste uh, but there's two billion tons of solid waste annually worldwide and that's growing like crazy so by the next like 30 years that's gonna increase by like a million one billion and a half wow yeah yeah I mean that's significant and and a third of that isn't managed in an environmentally safe way so we're, you know, clearly have to figure out, you know, something here. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a ton in the news about, about plastic, obviously we're, right. you know, no more plastic straws. You mentioned earlier, like no plastic shopping bags, um, where you're shopping and, you know, in, in terms of, of that issue, I mean, that's, that's 90% of, of the problem in our oceans. That's 90% of debris. Interesting. Yeah. So, so obviously it's, it's, um, I mean, I think we all know it's a real problem, but until you kind of like look past the headlines and you really kind of read about it, it's like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is, well, this so is let's, real. so let's talk about some of the different vectors that companies right now are trying to solve these problems, right? Because it's, it's a big problem in a lot of different ways. And then I also think that when we start looking at it, I also think we've jumped to some conclusions as a society of where we're solving a problem and maybe creating one somewhere else by trying to remove something without fully understanding. So, you know, where would, where would you like to start? Um, I think it's a a good place to start to, to think through basically where we are seeing the most, the most waste, right? Because if you're, let's say you're a company and you're trying to figure out how to solve this issue. Well, first you want to look to what are the most common materials that are discarded or, or recycled, and that can help shed some light on this. So um, paper and paper board, so, you know, cardboard, things like that, that accounts for 25% of, of waste generated. Wow. Now, how much of that is actually recycled, though? So, like, when we start looking at the data, that's actually an interesting number because, I mean, I grew up in a paper mill town, a yeah. huge paper mill town, and we were always, you know, I, I learned being through a paper mill that, you know, so much paper, it's very easy to recycle it, um, and most of it does get recycled. You know, how much is getting recycled right now based on what you saw in your findings? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it is and it's not. I mean, this used to be big business, but the value of of this industry has gone gone down drastically um, by about two thirds over the last few years. And and one of the big challenges here, particularly with, with paper and paper products, is the bar has been raised very significantly by China in terms of what they will accept from the US. So this is their purity numbers, because I've looked at this yeah. both in plastics and a few other things. And purity is really driving what they Exactly. So um, in the past, China has accepted like a 25% contamination rate, and they want to bring that to a 0.3%. So, you know, you can interpret that how you will, but it's essentially saying we don't we don't want your recycled paper, because that is such a high standard that it's really hard to meet. And, you know, when you think about a contaminated paper product, it's literally if you have a greasy paper, uh, a greasy a pizza box, for example. Right, right. So, you know, that's that's all it takes, and then you can't recycle it. Got it. 
And so, and I know paper is one of the easier ones to recycle if you can get that impurity out. So let's talk about some of the technologies. So in my, my searching around and looking, cause I, I knew that, Hey, you know, this isn't an area that I spend a ton of time in, but I know there's a ton of automation, a ton of operation that goes into this. And, you know, traditionally it's been a very manual process. So when a truck comes into a, a transfer station, for instance, they're having to sort in many cases by hand, all of those different streams of trash and recyclables and making sure that the contaminants are taken out. So when I think about that, that's a prime place for things like optical sensors, laser uh, cameras, the whole nine yards uh, and any type of robotics and being able to capture that stream and move it out of the workforce. And so I, I found pretty quickly at least 10 companies that were doing exactly that. So that's kind of on the back end on the sorting and trying to get that purity piece. Uh, But you know, that's just one tiny vector in this problem, right? Yeah. I mean, I think um, having better, better systems to actually sort it, that that's, that's part of it because that's an expensive process. Uh, But really it's, it's about the global marketplace and, you know, until those markets come back where we have a place to sell, these recyclables, there, there won't, there won't be a solution. So really, you know, when we think about, well, how do we deal with this significant problem that we have? It, it comes down to, you know, the good old, you know, reduce, reuse, because if it gets into that, um, you know, system of, of needing to be thrown away that we're going to, we're going to see this problem. So, I mean, there have to be companies out there, and I I didn't look into this right, but there have to be companies that are building out basically product, right, and starting to sell this. Because I would think, like with plastics, for instance, pelletizing plastic and selling that on the market would be probably a, a pretty good little business. There, there are a ton of businesses around this stuff. I mean, you can find technology that, you know, you can put a smart bin in your house that will sort your recyclables for you. Um, there are lots of companies that um, take recycled materials and make new materials from it. So, you know, I think if we can solve for creating an economy around, you know, MIT has an interesting phrase, the removal chain, which I, I really like. That's really where we need to take this. We need to figure out what do we do with all this stuff? Because the, you know, the, the places that we've typically been shipping this stuff away to, it's, it's not there. And, and what cities are doing is, you know, they're having to burn their, their waste and, and create energy from it. So it's not an awful thing in and of itself, but it's not as ideal as recycling it. So, you know, the EPA has different, like a different hierarchy, for example, of what to do with waste, right? So at the top is like you, you know, reduce what you're using or re- reuse it. That's ideal. Then it's recycling, composting, and then it's what they call energy recovery, right? If you have to burn trash, but you recover the energy. So that's what a lot of municipalities are doing because it's cheaper to do that or it's cheaper just to put it in the landfill than operate these recycling programs and they just can't afford to do it. 
Well, the interesting thing that I found, right, is that, first of all, MIT has this really cool, um, basically, uh, you know, public, public work where they're putting GPS sensors in the trash and they're following the trash. So basically that that uh what did you call it again what stream they call it the removal chain the removal chain yeah so the removal chain so you buy something you buy a coffee at starbucks you have generated a paper cup at that point now you tag it with a little device you throw it in the trash and then we see how far it goes and so it reports and gives a little bit of breadcrumb in this it's really interesting in seattle they actually this is where they did it that coffee cup on average goes between 15 and 17 miles before it gets into a resting spot. And that could be incinerated, you know, whatever. But the amount of places that, that went along the way was tremendous. And I, I kind of followed the, the breadcrumbs, so to speak. And, you know, it was, uh, it was not a straight route right to, the, uh, right to the dump, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this is this is a cool initiative. And, you know, they make a really great point when they ask the question of like, why do we know so much about the supply chain and so little about the removal chain? And that is the problem. It's out of sight, out of mind. We're all like trying to do the right thing here, but it's not it's not really working. Yeah. Well, and so you said something interesting about the trash cans, right? So that's a bone of contention for me. Sometimes I don't know. I mean, is this thing trash or is it treasure? Is this thing recyclable or is it too dirty? Uh, And so they actually have been using AI. There's a number of companies that do this that use AI to really kind of help prompt you on what should be where, uh, whether it be recyclable, trash, compost, you name it. Uh, And so these things are starting to build a little bit of the trend. And I know that food waste is also really high up there on the list of stuff that goes to a landfill. Yeah. Granted, that's actually highly compostable in most cases. Uh, you know, there's also a ton of folks that uh, that I know in all these incubators that we've uh, looked through and, and pitch competitions we've been to that are making bins that are, spe- you know, specific for restaurants as well as scales so that they can, you know, use an app to send a note to someone to say, hey, we're going to throw out some food in a half an hour. If you want to come pick it up and bring it to a shelter or wherever, um, you know, come and get it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, and to go back to thinking about companies that are solving for the, the biggest problems, right? So we talked about paper and, and paper products being 25% of waste. Uh, then the next highest uh, category is food. So that's 15%. Oh, that's so yeah, this food waste problem is is super real and and prevalent. So uh, one of the the companies that uh, well we were involved with with Mass Challenge, uh, they're called Food. They're based uh, based in Boston, and they have a a, a really cool product that um, they've been working with different um, different restaurants and food service companies. And essentially, uh, what it does it. It sits in the food prep area. It scans, looks at the type of food that's being thrown away and, and measures that. And, you know, the whole idea, first of all, is if you can measure what you're using and measure what you're wasting, 
then you can order smarter. So that's the that's one way that they're really, really tackling that, and they're optimizing you know menus and and food service businesses that way. Well, and even twenty years ago, I was doing stuff with a couple of universities and food shrink. You know that that piece where it's either stolen, it gets wasted it gets ruined or it times out, you know, date wise and has to get thrown out is a big deal. Right. And so being able to really start to tailor recipes and, and all that, that's, that really has been like a real art, yeah. uh, not necessarily a science, uh, you know, in the big industrial kitchen, so to speak. Uh, but now that stuff's really starting to get so good. Uh, I actually saw a, a group out at an Amazon accelerator in Seattle, and they were doing something really interesting because unlike Instacart, you could go and you could buy all of your groceries from them. And what they did is they actually would look at different grocers and give you different choices. But then the really cool part was you could start to assemble meals. And the meals would then prompt what went in your cart. And as you added more meals to the cart, it knew the total list of groceries so that it really started to reduce the amount of waste that you were using because it was fully using everything that you were purchasing. And this is just like one example of how data and being able to you know, make recommendations and, and recommendation engines have really come so far. That's really powerful and really, really helpful. And that's helping keep the supply chain clean up on the front where you're not wasting stuff. And so that it gets into that, you know, yeah. the back end chain. That's our reduce. Right. right. Step number one, if we can be smarter about what we need and want to consume, that's fantastic. That's absolutely yeah. the place to start. And so I'm going to throw a stat out there. Okay. So me. when I was researching the plastic bags initiatives, and like I said, I'm more of a scientist. I like to really know and think about the whole top to bottom. Right. So I started thinking, I wonder how much energy... You know, I know one or two of the things with plastic bags is that it gets used once, it gets thrown away, um, maybe it blows out of your car because it's light and it's really easy for it to uh, get into the air and become, you know, trash. That's that's a couple of the arguments. Uh, but I wonder how bad that plastic really is because everybody shows the pictures of the Sargassa Sea or, you know, the trash pit out in the middle of the uh, the Pacific. But, you know, how bad is that plastic bag actually, right? So I started doing some research and I found that Denmark had beat me to the research, which is great. Uh, but Denmark has actually done research that has proven that if you take into consideration water, energy, uh, and a number of other things that it takes to produce not only a plastic bag, but paper, uh, polyethylene, recycled, uh, all the way down to cotton. It's, it's staggering what the difference is between those. And I, I was thinking, you know, there's probably a few of those that are, uh, are going to beat the plastic out. You know, maybe not all of them, but, um, you know, wonder what the numbers are. And so what they did is they ranked it in terms of, how many times you would have to reuse the alternate bag to sort of beat out 
a single use of a plastic bag. And so it's, it's amazing. So at the absolute best case, you've got basically, you know, polyethylene bags as well as, uh, you know, polystyrene type bags, uh, that are recyclable and, uh, and reusable. And then you've got paper. And so those are in the thirties to forties. So you have to actually reuse those bags 30 to 40 times. That's, that's a lot. You're not going to reuse a paper bag that much. I can assure you. And some of those recyclable or, you know, reusable bags are not that much better. You're not maybe going to use it that many times. You don't think you use a, a reusable bag 40 times? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, it depends. There's some of those nice cloth bags that absolutely. Yeah, those can last forever. I mean, yeah. Years. Well, it's a good thing that they can last forever because a cotton bag or a fabric bag has to be reused 7,100 times to equate that energy and water and the, the total footprint of a plastic bag. That's amazing. It is. It is amazing. And so now you take and you say, okay, well, you know, if I have the bag for a number of years and like you said, it lasts forever, boy, it's not that big of a deal. But here's the next piece. How many times do you use reuse a plastic bag? I literally keep almost every plastic bag I've ever gotten and I reuse them. I I usually use them for trash bags. Exactly. So now right back to where we're starting. Well, now you're 14. (laughs) So now when you take that math, now that's 14,000 times you'd have to reuse that cotton bag. It's probably chance the handles are going to fall off in 14,000 times. Right. So all I'm saying is some of these things, when I start to think about it, and this is where, you know, you and I kind of go back and forth on, on it. I totally get it. I want to like save the environment too, but there are other places where we might be able to, to look at that we can remove some of that, that waste in a different way. Yeah. I mean, it's a matter of looking at like you said, looking at the numbers and you know, let's, let's just not be trendy. Let's actually do things that make sense. And this was also a debate that came up with reusable coffee mugs you know, because when you think about the resources and energy that go into, for example, creating a steel mug or a ceramic mug versus other materials, it's this, and I I can't remember the stat right off the top of my head, but a a steel coffee mug, you have to have that for like like a, a stupid amount of time, basically, to make that actually make sense as an environmental purchase. Same thing with everybody that all of a sudden has a hydro flask. You know, that's that's a fairly costly build out. Yes, you are saving plastic. And that's a great thing because that is truly causing an issue in our oceans, as we talked about earlier. But yeah, there it's it's a much more complex picture for sure. Well, and so the only reason I bring this up is because it really is a two sided at a minimum equation, which is you've got the production side of it as well as how do you either redefine its life at the end, whether that's in the landfill, um, working its way back to being coal again or, or, or oil, or uh, you're going to, you know, burn it and put it to CO2 into the air. And, you know, when we talk about like greenhouse gases and, and what is that effect that, that we're actually seeing, it's about 5% of global emissions. 
are wow. generated from from solid waste. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Now, I know there's a number of companies that have been working on gasification of trash. So uh, basically turning that into, you know, gases that you could use much like CNG, you know, compressed natural gas uh, to power the trash trucks or to power, you know, the 18 wheelers that haul the trash, you know, that stuff actually starts to make a difference. Uh, I've also been to some landfills. I'm not a landfill expert by any stretch, but <laughs> doing some good, some good research. Oh, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a picker. You know, I like to go, oh, the goodness. engineer in me comes out and I see something that somebody threw away and I'm like, I could cut the cord off that and I could make that better again. Please no. You know, so I'm, I'm like doing my part. Maybe I use a plastic bag every so often, but, um, uh, Hey, you know, I've, uh, I've taken my share of stuff back from the dump. So that's a longer story for a different day. Um, Brian's picking tails up oh, next. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> if this IT stuff doesn't work out for me, I'm totally going to be on Discovery Channel making a TV program. That'll be awesome. So, uh, cool. yeah. So, so, well, okay, you first. Okay. So <laughs> where I was going next really is uh, when we're thinking about both sides like that, um, it's really interesting because if we do small little things in all sides of this, we can actually really affect the change, which I think is really interesting. And I think that one of the reasons that we haven't done that is trash is trash. And in most cases, it's weighed by the ton. It hasn't been very accurate because they're just, who wants to measure trash? But the great part is, insert technology. There are companies now building uh, tipping bins you know, the, the big ones that you see out behind a, a shopping mall that have a whole myriad of sensors in them that can do a number of things. Uh, everything from moisture of the trash to the last time it was dumped to the quantity, the quality, whatever. Um, all kinds of different things uh, that it can do. And so we're starting to collect data like we've never had on trash before. We are getting a mountain of data, uh, which is fantastic. And there's this, um, this company called, I, I guess you say it, Bin E. Um, it's, it's Bin World, but they have this smart bin. So it recognizes the waste type. Interesting. It sorts it, it compresses it, it lets you know how full the bin is. And then it can, you know, coordinate with waste removal. I wonder if I threw my clothes in it, if it could sort them, compress them, ha slash, fold them, and then spit them out to <laughs> if me. It would, I wonder if your clothing would be trash, compostable. That'd be, I mean, that'd be a hell of a life hack right yeah, there, but yeah. I, it's worth a try. Yeah, totally. So so to, so to think back to our, our most popular types of trash, right? We talked about paper, we talked about plastic. So another big one here is, um, or I'm sorry, we talked about actually paper and food, but plastic is the next one right. that I actually want to talk about a little bit more. So plastic is 13% of all of our, all of our waste. And it's super interesting that it's actually tied with yard trimmings. Wow. I, I know. I'm like, we can't figure out what to do with our grass. Really? Well, it, grass is interesting because grass doesn't always decompose. Grass is interesting. Yeah, that's a whole different 
technology. Oh, that's a different, different podcast. That's a okay. different podcast. Um, that's a lazy podcast for a different day. Um, but yeah, I mean, grass is interesting because it doesn't actually decompose as quick as many other organics. So for, for a number of reasons. Is it because we've messed with it too much? Uh, again, too another much? podcast okay. for a different right. day. Like we'll we, put a pin in that. We'll have the, uh, the Orkin man come on and, uh, and Good. we'll get sponsored by Agway for that one. And, and maybe Scott's Turf Builder. Scott's Turf Builder with grub protection. It's my dream. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, the data, right? So when we really start looking at the data, it's interesting that taking out cost as well on the operating side, uh, you know, you start to see a lot of these bins. Uh, I also found bins that are starting to do basically pay by the pay by the bag, pay by the dump. Uh, and it will actually <laughs> I know it's funny, right? Yeah, that's good. Okay, keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about paying by the dump. Yeah, but but basically like, you know, pay by the load sort of technologies where, you know, as that bin fills up, if they happen to be going by your neighborhood and it might not even be trash day, if the bin's out, they can now maybe pick it up and optimize the route. So by using technology to start optimizing, you know, even waste management routes, they could start pulling out a ton of savings in what these trucks are doing, you know, just burning uh, tons and tons of diesel fuel um, to go out and and service trash, right? So yeah. it's all of these different components. And when you start using the data to really look at this and start really looking just like that plastic bag, just like Den uh, Denmark did, right? Looking at that all the way through the system is really important because we might be trying to save one thing and breaking four other things. So I think the data is really starting to collect and, and show up now, and we can really start dialing in on the places where we can really save. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when you think about this um, waste economy, if, if a company can figure out how to make something of value from recycled items... That's a gold mine because the material is abundant. We are, we have, we're oversupplied, right? With that, the the value of that is far, far lowered at this point. So that's a huge opportunity. And there's a, there's a company that that's, that's pretty interesting out of a kibbutz in Israel. And they're actually making, um, a new, basically plastic pellets out of, out of trash. And I'm not saying just recycled plastics, like they're taking kind of everything and they have this process of incinerating it in some, in some way to create this, this new type of, of plastic. Interesting. And what do they do? So they're building their own market to essentially take the product, make a product, make a, a raw material again and then sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the company is called UBQ materials and they literally say they take everything from like, you know, chicken bones to old clothes to, you know, plastic bottles and, and they can process that. And that is first of all, kind of like the, the ultimate of, of what we would love to do with our trash, right? Forget all that fancy technology and time spent having to sort it and look for contaminants. 
if, right. if this can work, it's pretty amazing. Well, so it, and if we start thinking about our trash as we do data, and we're not quite there yet, which is most data probably has some value to someone. If we start thinking about the things that we put into essentially the work stream, the, the supply chain, uh, all of that, and we start thinking about what is the total economic value all the way through to trash and its new life, now all of a sudden that starts to really change the game. And, you know, that takes data. That also takes uh, understanding and metrics and, and kind of finding those sources. But an example of that is, uh, you know, I used to have a diesel car. I used to have a, a VW. Uh, and there were a number of people at this, you know, diesel conference that I would go to that had uh, vegetable oil cars. And they ran their diesel cars on vegetable oil. And they would go around to all of these fast food places and get free fuel from them, essentially. And they would make their own biodiesel. And that was fantastic. These, these people were driving all over the place, absolutely free. And, you know, the, the side benefit, their cars most of the time smelled like French fries. Um, so that was kind of nice. They, they had that going for them as well. Um, I'm nice. sure date situations probably weren't the best, but eh, hey, whatever. They were, I mean, they were green. I mean, it is a tactic that realtors, you know, like to have the smell of like baked cookies in a new home. So Melinda, that's not, that's not McDonald's French fries. Hey, I think that's a cozy, nice smell. So that sounds (laughs) sounds great. Uh, We should, we should make a French fry, you know, to dab behind her ears. Okay. Perfect. All right. I'll I'll get working on that. I'm sure it'll be a big seller. She's just that weird folks. Mm. Um, but anyhow, um, yeah, so, so that was all going along swimmingly until the word got out that, wow, you know, like you could power your car and it's free and almost free. And then the next thing you know, now there are companies that they go around, they just get this stuff. They, they basically pay McDonald's to get the stuff, right? And now McDonald's like bids for, you know, who's going to give them the best price on the refuse. And that's like, that's awesome. Like, and I'm sure the people with the veggie cars, veggie oil cars were like, oh man, this stinks. But the reality is that's a great situation because it created an economy around that. Well, and, and here's the flip side of creating an economy. So what happens when the price for our recycled plastics is high? The motivation to reduce the motivation to reuse, right? Does it diminish? So this is going to be really interesting to see once we have, uh, you know, this, this innovation that's going to keep, keep churning on, and how do we use these products? I'm not at all hinting that we don't go there. We, we need to, we need to figure it out, but it will be interesting to see that dynamic change over time. Yeah. And you know, the, to that point, right. I think a lot of people sometimes want to put it on manufacturers that this is a manufacturer problem, but you know, I, I've worked around manufacturing much of my career in one shape or form. And a lot of times, you know, they're engineering out, um, you know, value engineering, they're cutting out every single cost possible. The reason they're cutting out every single cost possible is not because they want to build the cheapest product possible. It's because the consumer is telling them that's what they want. 
And they're telling them that by where they shop. They're telling them that by what competitors that look almost good enough, um, why they buy the cheapest one, right? So that value engineering play comes in where you take a good design, you take good product, you take maybe even a great sustainability program, and eventually you run out of people that are like totally caring about that. And they really just focus on like, well, I could pay 30% more for this, or I could pay 30% less for this. Well, you know what? I'll let somebody else, you know, pay the extra and, and save the planet. And these are choices that we have to make as well, because manufacturers aren't going to change all by themselves. You know, they, they'll go a little bit of the way, but they're not going to pick up the cost a hundred percent, you know, and there's ways that you can manufacture things that certainly make them easier to recycle. There are certainly products that you can buy that are rebuildable, but most of the time a rebuildable product is much more expensive, right? It's got much more engineering in it. It's got much higher quality, you know, pieces and components. Uh, and a lot of times we don't want to pay for it, right? So, And, and that, that is absolutely the trend. I mean, we're, we're a throwaway, a throwaway culture yeah. at this point. Um, so it, even if you want to fix things, you know, especially like big items like household appliances, you know, you just get the answer of, well, we don't fix these anymore. You just have to replace your dishwasher, you know, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's just been a, a huge, huge shift away from, um, conserving and, and being able to, to repair and not have to just keep chucking things into the landfill or trying to recycle it or, you know, sell scrap metal or that, you know, things like that. So. Well, and that's, and that's interesting, right? Because I think there's a lot of, there's starting to be a lot of focus on how do I make the things that I have start to last longer? Because I think people are starting to pay attention that I just can't keep buying the latest iPhone. I just can't keep buying this thing that broke because, hey, you know what? I can go on YouTube or I can go on Reddit and I can actually find ways to fix that stuff now. Yeah, I agree. I think people are getting a little tired of it and we're and we're seeing the, the problem that it's that it's causing. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think we are, you know, starting to see a shift with that kind of mentality. And I mean, even we, we see it with, um, you know, the whole fast fashion trend is has waned, you know, a lot in that that's that's yeah. part of what we've been seeing in that trend too. And so kind of the last thing, right? The last couple minutes here, you know, what would you say going into 2020, 2030 and beyond? What do you think is going to be sort of the biggest trend, you know, technology-wise uh that is going to help us with waste and trash and recycling? So technology-wise, it's figuring out ways to create novel materials from from waste. I mean, this UBQ company is is an example of of something really interesting happening. And you know, there's some skepticism on well, is it is it really as great as they say it is? And, and who knows? But the the purpose and the intent is spot on. So I think that's absolutely where we need to be. And and if we also can figure out you know, ways to harness clean energy from, from waste. That's also a huge one. So, you know, that's, 
what I think we're going to see and what I hope to see as well. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it. That kind of got my wheels turning. That's got me thinking about like data, right? Trash is a two-sided equation. You create trash. And if you could create a home for trash, you know, your trash, someone else's treasure, you know, a marketplace for that, uh, that's easy. Now, all of a sudden you're matching up people that have it and people that, you know, maybe want it in some way. Like and a trash stock exchange? Like a trash stock exchange, right? And cool. so I think that is going to be probably one of those things that if something like that gets homogenized, right, and, and created and, and just adopted, that that actually will really make those prices start to uh, solidify. It will make people want to get rid of the trash, you know, and do it appropriately. And it will help the back end. And then I think, you know, technologies on the front end, which would be, you know, us making good choices, uh, technologies that help keep waste that's not waste um, out of trash and into the landfill. I think all of these technologies added together combined with the data to sort of see how it all works together. I think that is really our opportunity over the next, let's call it 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And you know, you mentioned that um, that MIT uh, project, this called like Sensible City Labs, that they're talking about um, smart dust. You know, of of being able to track to this minute level, and and I think that's really what we need because we we don't know. And just like your example with the plastic bags, we have to be a lot more informed with really what's going on because all of us can vote with our wallets, right, and our behavior. And if we don't know the right choice to make. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of the problem. When we talk about the technology solution, but there's, there's obviously a consumer solution here as well. Well, and, and like we've always said, right, there's quick, right. And cheap pick any two. And I think some of these things that we see on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, that is sort of like, Hey, do this thing, you know, straws, for instance, plastic straws, do these things, but then all of a sudden now we're using straws that have a coating on them that makes it so that you can't recycle those straws in some cases, right? Or you got to carry around a metal straw that actually took way more energy to produce and, you know, doesn't... Now my germs are collecting inside it because yeah, it's impossible to clean. Exactly. Now you, you run up some other cost. Um, it's We have to be really careful because we have the data at this point in society that we could start to leverage the data before we start making wild swings and really making sure that we're, we're putting our energy into the right things. That's, that's the part about data that I think is awesome. And I know this podcast was maybe not the data files and data phobes uh, of usual, but like it's, it's an important topic and I'm glad we could talk about it. There's plenty of data going on with trash. Well, Speaking of which, it's getting late in the day and I'm not going to get trashed, but I think we're, uh, we're good to take it out. Enough trash talking for today. Enough trash talk for today. So thank you. This was really good. I'm glad we could talk about it. Me too. Later. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is sponsored by Uprise Partners. Uprise launches startups and evolves established companies. Check it out at www.uprisepartners.com. Please like, subscribe, and share, and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout if you have a great idea that you want us to include. Just email us at hello at datamyths.com. Catch you next time.